The Digested Read by John Crace. The Sea, the Sea by Iris Murdoch. The sea which lies before me as I write glows rather than sparkles in the bland May sunshine. I had written this sentence, destined to be the opening line of my memoirs, when something happened so horrible I cannot bring myself to describe it. I spoke of memoir, but I have no time for fine writing. I had intended to take myself away from the world and write a cookery book. How overwrought this opening now seems, how knowing the artifice. But this was the 70s, a decade when myth and Freudian illusion were sweeping through Bohemia, so perhaps I can be forgiven. And if my remarks about fine writing were too contrived even then... How happy I was to pick up the Bocca Prize for my efforts. Then do remember I was Prospero, desperate to abjure the magic of theatre for my hermitage by the sea, the sea. Today I have been swimming naked in the blessed northern sea, the sea, diving from the cliff into the gentle waves, my body growing scales like a merman as I sported like a dolphin before easing myself out of the mysterious deep, my fingers clawing at the rocks for purchase. I'm sorry, I'm doing it again. I don't seem to be able to help myself. Melodrama and opportunist symbolism have been my trade for so long, it is hard to loosen their bonds. Perhaps I should make myself known as I make myself a ploughman's lunch, ploughman's lunch. My name is Charles Araby. You probably recognise the name. In my time I've been a famous actor, playwright and theatre director, but now I am in my sixties, I tire of the egotism of the stage, and have left London to live alone in Shrough End, a remote dwelling perched on the edge of land, o'erlooking the sea, the sea, that some time had the still calm of Millpond's past, and at others crashed tumultuously in frothy whirlpools of anguished darkness. It is night, and as I lie within the inner room, the house itself must be allowed its own Freudian symbolism. I feel the time is right to mention the thing that was too horrible to describe in the first paragraph. For as I look down into the sea, the sea, the wild waters open to reveal a vast grey monster from the deep. What sort of animal it was, I cannot say though if you choose to see it as my subconscious staring back at me, you won't be far off. Two days have passed since I wrote that, days in which I have immersed myself naked in the sea, the sea, and I feel the time is right to introduce more characters. Clément was my first mistress. She was much older than me, an actress who took me under her wing and launched my career. I will promise more of her. But such is my unreliability, no more will be forthcoming. Then there is Lizzie. She is younger than me, a lesser actress but hopelessly devoted to me. She now shares a house with Gilbert, a sweet, ineffectual, gay thespian. Neither must we forget Rosina, whom I stole away from Peregrine only to discard her. 
nor James, the Buddhist, my cosmic cousin, doppelganger, alter eager, rival, call him what you will. So there we have them. Clément, Lizzie, Gilbert, Rosina, Peregrine and James, all names redolent of a certain class. But that's the way literature was back then. That was the prehistory. Now then we reach the history, the time when letters and characters began to serendipitously arrive as if by magic. That word again. First came Lizzie, pleading with me to love her, to let her be my object. It was tempting, but no. Next, a letter from James that I read while lying naked after swimming once more in the turbulent sea, the sea. He, too, will come to visit. And now a car appears. It is Perry. He does so hate being called Perry. And Rosina. I am so very grateful to Perry for having been so adult about my elopement with Rosina. A level of maturity not since reciprocated by his wife. I'll kill you, she snarled, if you take up with Lizzie again. You are mine. A more developed character might have wondered why it was that even though I was well into my sixties, women could not resist throwing themselves at my feet. But I confess my limitations got the better of me, and I preferred to dwell on the possibility of the supernatural. I am not in a relationship with Lizzie, I declared. Rosina did not believe me and drove off angrily into the night. And in her headlights I saw her. Hartley. Once more I find I have been economical with the truth, but this time I shall tell all. I promise. Hartley was my childhood love. We were inseparable, a working-class Romeo and Juliet. And then she left me when I went to drama school. No reason, no explanation. She left me heartbroken. Perhaps it was because of her I became the thespian I am, but that's another story. Here she was again, mysteriously turning up again after fifty years, living in the very same village as me. What follows is the essence of tragedy, though you may read it as pure farce, as coincident piles upon coincidence and everyone starts behaving in still more unbelievable ways. I followed Hartley to our home. You may now be old, fat and ugly, I implored, but I have always loved you, darling Hartley. Be still, she begged, for I must remain unhappily married to the violent Ben, and together we must mourn the disappearance of our adopted son, Titus. If I hadn't been so busy swimming naked in the sea, the sea, I might have wondered if I was now in a bad Thomas Hardy novel. And as I emerged from the deep, another car drew up. It was the meditative James with an unknown youth. I suppose you must be Titus, I said. I am very much in love with your mother and would like to adopt you. That sounds fun, he replied. I'll stay for a while. My memory gets a little blurred at this point because people come and go from the house with extraordinary speed and little explanation, and now I find myself surrounded by Lizzie, Gilbert, Peregrine, Rosina, James and Titus. I'm going to kidnap Hartley and make her marry me, I said. 
rather than, as lesser mortals may have done, seeing such action as delusional idiocy requiring the attention of a doctor, if not the police, the others recognised it for what it was, an important expression of the futility of egotism. So they helped me enact my plan. I'm not that happy about it, Hartley said, but I'm not so bothered I'm going to try and escape. A few days later we were out by the boiling sea, the sea. The next I remember is waking in my bed. Someone had tried to murder me. But who could it have been? It was me, said Peregrine. I've always hated you for taking Rosina away from me. Phew, we all replied. As long as only you, we don't need to call the police. I think perhaps it might be time to take Hartley home, though. James said sagely. Reluctantly, I agreed that only once Titus had promised to stay, and we set off by car back to Hartley's hovel. Who is throwing stones down on the car? we yelled as the windscreen shattered. It's only me, Rosina laughed. Phew, we all replied. We made our way back to my house where we stripped off naked and plunged into the churning sea, the sea. A shriek rent the air. It was Lizzie. Titus has drowned. Perhaps then Hartley will be now free to live with me, I wondered out loud, before lapsing into a week-long fever, during which I remembered that I had seen the sea monster again during my attempted murder, and that it had been a Buddha like James walking on water who had rescued Prospero. I woke to find some letters. Hartley and Ben had emigrated to Australia. James had willed himself to death in a Tibetan trance. Perry and Rosina were going to Ireland, and Gilbert and Lizzie were doing something else. I swam naked in the calm waters of the sea, the sea, the psychic monster replaced by seals. There the history ends, or rather it should have, because I've just had a letter from a 17-year-old girl asking me to impregnate her. The absurdity of magical realism never fails. 